Recorded live from the planet Pandora, the one with a vault and not the blue Pocahontas, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast number 14. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me in the forums as Slacker. And this is Adam. You guys know me as BigMan2K. And we have a special guest star. Hi, it's Amy. And our welcome back from sabbatical episode catches up a bit from front page news. We cover a little bit of uh, gaming news. Ubisoft bragging about their DRM. 3DS's price drop. And we'll do a review on the new release, Catherine. A gaming shout-out of one of the long-lost Xbox gems, Phantom Dust. I actually played a game. (laughs) And, of course, we have our top five. We'll just keep in suspense there and uh, bring up site news for now. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of the slow time of year. Uh, a lot of the front page has been dominated by NES Rules and his Treasure Hunt Chronicles. Um, we did have our monthly RFG thanks. And one thing that has... Uh, it came out actually in the beginning of June, but we had our E3 episode and... It didn't really get a chance to uh, get covered. Uh, the Gru has been working on and has actually released a beta version of an RF generation app for your Android phone. And as of right now, the the only release that he has um, is it's in the forums, and I'll put a link into that in the blog post. Right now, all it lets you do is just search for and view a collection. It doesn't necessarily let you log in and add anything yet. But he's planning on uh, adding features to that as well, including image viewing. And depending on how the code may get released, we could look at... Uh, I thought it would be nice to be able to, uh, to add the option to uh, view the front page stories through uh, like an RSS feed. So, I mean, that's a possibility. For those of you who are running iOS... It's, very, <laughs> it's it's expensive to code. Um, I will give someone I will give somebody a goodie from my collection if they make me an iOS version of this. I need this. Oh my! I, I, pulling this the, pulling the site up through my iPhone where you know when I don't have my 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 uh, hard copy list. Oh man, it's I mean it, it runs okay, but just sitting here scrolling through a few thousand games at a time, I I need this app. <laughs> And so do I, because he always takes my iPhone, because it works faster. Oh. Well, when it did work. <laughs> Touche. But I just wanted to give a little shout-out to the group for doing all that work. I mean, really, he took the idea and ran with it. I wanted to do something, but man, he he jumped right in, and it the results are great. Now I just have to get it. Now I just have to make a tablet version for my little Android tablet I have at home. Yeah, much much love from uh, the RF Gen crew. <laughs> so recent news in the gaming world: the 3DS just announced a rather significant price drop, spiraling down eighty dollars, and that initiates, I believe, August twelfth. The the price drop is on August twelfth. Um, yeah, this has it, it seems like it's dropped price faster than the Virtual Boy, and it's fairly fitting that. Everybody already compared it to it. But the nice thing is, um, with the price drop for you early adopters who've 
picked it up within the last five months. They have the 3DS Ambassador Program, which means that you get 20 free games. Assuming you get your 3DS uh, on the eShop before August 12th. 10 free NES and 10 free GBA. And the titles that are announced are definitely some classics, and some of them are supposed to be exclusive just to that promotion. So it is a decent bone to throw to uh, those early adopters as opposed to you know what we usually get, which is nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I do appreciate that they're they're giving us something. And it, it's pretty common to read online right now that uh, the, the reason Nintendo is doing this is because the 3DS sales out the gate are not nearly as strong as uh, what Nintendo expected and that there's some price fluctuation with the exchange with the yen and that there quote-unquote aren't any great 3DS games out there, which I highly disagree with. Uh, <laughs> due to some medical concerns, we were in the hospital for quite some time recently and I got to spend some love on the 3DS and I do really appreciate some of the games that are already out on that system, but that will be some game shout-outs later. But right now i really think what they're trying to do now that the vita price has been announced they've got to get that install base up i'm sure they have a 3ds light version as is everybody else down the road that's going to improve battery life maybe look make the system look a little sleeker or something who knows but in the meantime uh, they've got to drive this thing in as much as possible before the Vita comes out. And the smartest thing they could have done was at this significant price drop so that you don't look at this in the same uh, price tag range as the Sony Vita. So I'm, that's, that's my, uh, my vibe on the whole thing is that once this was announced, as soon as they could really get their act together and reasonably, uh, you know, drop the price on this thing, I don't know, and I haven't been able to find anywhere online if Nintendo is actually taking a hit now with the production of the uh, with the actual manufacturing and selling of these, because Nintendo historically always makes a profit on their hardware, and five months seems like it's a pretty tight window to have shaved that much off in terms of manufacturing costs, which is one of the reasons why I think that they made it so significant and decided to take a hit just so that they could undercut the, the Vita coming out. I mean, I think it's. It certainly is possible that they are they are going to take a hit. What the thing I'm I'm wondering about though is I mean they are also you know there are several high up executives taking major pay cuts to try and make this to make this pay, to make the price cut happen to make the free games happen. I mean Iwata took a he took a 50% pay cut as part of I mean that's just one example of what they're doing to try and get this to happen. Well, you know, this to me shows a a huge difference with the mentality of Nintendo versus um, Microsoft and Sony. You don't hear about Jack Trenton taking a pay cut. You don't hear about, not commonly. Uh, and Japanese managerial customs are obviously quite different than than the American equivalent, but it, it seems like almost honest humility to me for Nintendo to take such a fast step. I mean, they're in the lead. These guys aren't like 3DO, you know, or somebody that's just tanking, and, and they the managerial staff is saying, 
hey, we, we apologize. This is our all, our all our fault. So, you know, for the shareholders and for the customers, we're going to show you our sacrifices we're willing to make. You know, no, the, Nintendo's still in the lead. You know, I, they're still number one, the big dog. And for them to roll out the 3DS and then do this drastic cut in the middle of, of nowhere you know for for the for the all of these people taking this huge pay cut does seem to be that genuine humility that you're not seeing from the other big dogs and i got to admit it it does give me points you know to their side well kind of kind of tying into this 3DS price drop we have the the PS Vita is now uh going to miss its 2011 ship dates in the US and Europe for the uh but it is still going to launch in 2011 in Japan. There was several things I wanted to try and say about the 3DS point with the Vita story, but I wanted to hold off just a minute. Um, the thing about the 3DS versus the Vita is it almost seems like Nintendo had an, an idea that that was going to happen already, where if they, if they go ahead and cut the price now, which, I mean, the other thing that could happen or could have happened is that the it, it would seem like the biggest cause of or the, the, the highest price component in the 3DS would be the 3D screen and depending on how manufacturing gets on that it could very well drop pretty quickly and it's it's a pretty good price point to be at I mean if, if you did look at them side by side at 250 a piece for the Vita and for the 3DS the Vita has great hardware, great graphics. It's going to be hard to pass that up. But when you drop it down, that that one versus that two <laughs> in the very front could be a huge difference. I mean, it's you know it's eighty bucks difference, and you're getting a you know it's two completely different systems once again. But if they hit this price point. You know, this price drop early. They have some big games coming out with Star Fox, um, with Mario being announced, Luigi's Mansion. Some huge games are on the horizon, which, you know, that's kind of been the a criticism that the big games are always kind of on the horizon. But they have some huge games coming out before the holiday. And if Sony doesn't have their offering out there, there's only one other game in town, and it just got cheaper. Yeah, it's the worst timing in a sense, for Sony to do this, because it, you know, if you had to pick one market for them to actually get the Vita out, I understand why it would be the Japanese market, because the PSP has always been a huge deal over there, especially after Monster Hunter. It, it kind of makes sense that that's their, their push market right now. Uh, but missing the holiday window out here in, in the Americas, that's... Yeah, that's, that's going to cost them big in this race. It's They're going to have to have an incredibly strong showing next year to really push this thing because they've already given a, a single holiday lead. And again, you know, I'm sure they're going to stick with that 250 price point for the, the uh, cheaper model. And you put them both side to side, you're, uh, you, you've pretty much divided the demographic interest now. So yeah, I, I think that Nintendo was pretty intelligent with the timing and even the, uh, the amount of their price cut. They pretty much, just drop themselves into a different and better market than than the Vita. Well, the other thing is, I mean, you could still have people that are now, uh, I, and I realize we keep going back to the 3DS, but and but it's 
you could still have people that are purchasing the 3DS now at 250 to get the free games. I mean, we I don't have there been any, any GBA virtual console games yet? I think they've been mostly just Game Boy. Yeah, Game Boy this Color. was yeah, th- this is a big deal because originally it was Game Boy Game Boy Color. And so Game Boy Advance has so many very well-known classic releases, you know, that you've got the a great Mario Kart for it. You've got all of the classic Marios that were on the 8 and 16-bit era redone. There's so many great role-playing games for the system. There, yeah, so there's there's a significant um, install base there for interest because a lot of people would love to go back and play some of these GBA games, even if it's on newer hardware. And, and the, the reason I bring that up, though, is that the GBA games you're looking at four bucks a piece, or the the Game Boy games you're looking at about four bucks a piece or so. Um, the I think Excite Bike was that. I think that's also four or five dollars, wasn't it? Well, when I I, mean, I got it, it free, free, so the, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how much free, the price point now is now. Um, Excite Bike is six dollars, which it's got. It's not just the straight NES game. It's got the, a little bit of 3D to it. It's it's kind of a it's a pretty slick implementation of the 3D actually. Um, yeah, I was pretty impressed. <laughs> and it's it's now six dollars for essentially an NES game with some minor 3D tweaks to it. So I mean, we have. I would naturally assume the GBA games are going to be more than four dollars, and you know, at ten of those, you, you know, at a sheer price perspective of this, you're getting way more than the eighty dollar price cut if you went ahead and bought it in advance. But <laughs> that's, assu- that's assuming you want all the titles uh, that are named, although they're being smart. You know, they're they have they're not, a, they're not they're just not- releasing a bunch of their. You know, we're not saying. I mean, although I think actually, just I was gonna say Mock Rider, but Mock Rider would probably look pretty sweet on a 3DS coming at you. Yeah, they <laughs> they know we're not looking for a rehash of you know Urban Champion in 3D or anything. Right, They're they giving some, some big guns here. Some classic franchises, you know. The, the, I'm looking forward to going through Metroid Fusion again. Oh yeah, I, I I've always been a huge fan of the WarioWare games. I think that'll be they can do some interesting things with that. I mean, I think the racing games would be fun. Mario Kart, um, I think, would be very nice. And and really, they're all all the ones that were announced are major titles. And again, you know, some of them they say are going to be exclusive to this promotion. So, and I've heard yeah. those are all pretty. I've I've actually heard um, it's all ten of the GBA games are completely exclusive only to this promotion. Which is nuts compared to the these being several of the big releases that yeah. people would be would have been waiting on so well uh <laughs> on the opposite spectrum of uh smart business decisions uh, ubisoft has been bragging about the quote-unquote success of their drm on pc <sighs> drm is only good for pirates well i guess it it, it only hurts let me rephrase that DRM only hurts legitimate customers. That's, I mean, really, at this point, that's all it does. Pirates get around the DRM. They don't have to deal with this. Legitimate customers have to deal with Ubisoft servers getting hacked. Taking- give me, give me a dial a pirate like we used to have on Monkey Island. <laughs> give me something goofy that comes with a box that forces me to prove oh, that I own the game. Not the, not the, not the code wheels. <laughs> No! 
No, the, I think the best one, my favorite, was uh, one of the space, one of the later space quests. Was it might have been uh, Space Quest Five, where it came with a tabloid magazine that was hilarious. Every article in there was just a guffaw, and in those articles. Uh, laced throughout them was the actual protection, copyright protection. You had to have that with you, and re- and actually, uh, it would ask you what's the, you know, what's a word from this page or something equivalent, and you had to look it up and put it, you know, something like that. Throw See, us, throw us a bone here. Don't don't make us have well, to stay online when half of us drop our internet connections on a whim anyway. <laughs> what a way to kill EA's online pass if they would just actually go back to printing actual manuals, and then they can just put the DRM. In the manual. There you go. I mean, well, here's the other thing. You got the connect and you got the move. And soon enough, you're going to have the Wii U with the camera. Take a picture of the uh, out of the manual with your with whatever camera. There's your DRM. There that if you need if you need to careful buy a used careful. copy and it doesn't have a manual, you order a manual for ten dollars from EA. You realize where this is going. I don't want whenever I I jump in to play the next you know ga- the, the next Halo or Gears or Uncharted. I don't want to stand in front of the PlayStation Eye or the Connect and it say identity confirmed. It's you. You can play your game. You know I mean, that's <laughs> okay. Now yeah, that's it's gonna be a uh, it'll be like a code sheet and it'll say to uh you know to continue to the next level uh. Give me a K, and then you do a K shape in front of your TV, and then you can keep going. <laughs> the idea that, and this this really bothered me with uh, with StarCraft Two and the the uh, more limited functionality you could have if you weren't able to sign online and, and oh, that kind of thing. Diablo Three now too, same thing. Perpetual online is required. Given the you know what. <laughs> Like we joked about, what if you're on Verizon? You know, <laughs> like what we were joking about before. What if it, lots of people's internet occasionally drops out? You know, th- th- to no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. And I know somebody's going to be playing the new Assassin's Creed. They're going to be 20 minutes outside of a save point or some equivalent like that. They're going to be right in the middle of that, you know, two-hour-long cutscene where the guy you just killed is somehow able to make. You know, a, a gigantic speech about life, the universe, and everything. And you're halfway through the cutscene, and all of a sudden it cuts out, you know, and your internet drops or something. Your two year old trips over the cord. Who knows? It's just, I don't see how anyone who doesn't live in one of, you know, the the larger cities that are used to steady connections all the time, and even in there, you know, I'm sure there's. Uh, <laughs> to paraphrase something I, I read uh, um, in a forum over this, you know, somebody in Seattle has dial-up. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it just it's punishing. There's there's better methods out there if you want to protect your product aside from the fact of, you know, make something that's not nearly as buggy as an Ubisoft game. But well, look at the like the uh, you know, it's not nearly on the same level, but look at the uh, like the humble indie bundles. People are willing to shell out dough for DRM free products. 
there's you know they're pushing for that on iTunes and Amazon and they want their products to be you know not I don't I don't want to say free it's free as in freedom to be able to do with what you want but it's not locked down to Ubisoft servers being up at the time I mean what if they decide to I mean this is you know I'm not sure if this is kind of on the same level or not but if you look at you know Xbox Live or EA pulling support for a sports game that's a year old well what if Ubisoft says well we're we're going to pull our um, validation service for you know this game on this date well you can no longer play that game anymore yeah for a collector this is the ultimate insult if i buy one of these newer ubisoft pc games and i don't open the shrink wrap on it for another few years it unless i hack the game i'm not going to be able to play it you know if they release a patch even to to uh to circumvent the drm before they shut the servers off if i don't take this open it up get my game online and get that patch you know they're going to shut that server off eventually and i'm not going to be able to play it you know it, mm-hmm. this goes back to what we mentioned before about these games having dlc content uh, content to finish it out you know this is kind of the the uh, another another route that is going to really mess us who likes to play, mess us over the people who like to play old games whenever we want to play old games and unfortunately, it seems like this the DRM stuff is is hurting more the uh, the PC gaming crowd than it is the console crowd because I mean we're we're already essentially locked down as it is, but you know PC gamers have always had that sort of freedom to kind of do with different things as they could. I mean we're not they're, they're, it's not a closed platform, but by by putting on the DRM they are they're trying to make it one. And all they're doing is just hurting their own sales because people are going to pirate the game anyway, or they'll buy the game and then use the pirated copy so they don't have to deal with, you know, servers going down. Yeah, it's... And people wonder why PC gaming... I'm not going to be one of these... (laughs) I'm not going to be one of these uh, people who say that PC gaming is dying or dead because... A, I don't believe it, and B, I, I like to not get flamed to death online <laughs> and still have access to my email accounts, etc. Um, so, you know, I don't believe that. You know, there there is a strong PC gaming community, but there's a reason why. Uh, there's many reasons why it's more limited than it could be, and this is a big reason. All of that extra horsepower that you can beef up and look at the, you know, something looks so much better than the console version, but they're gonna buy. The, the same game for their 360 or PS3 because they don't want to deal with that DRM nonsense. You mm-hmm. know? So there's a reason why PC gaming has become its you know a, a more closed niche over the last decade or so, and this is part of it. People aren't going to put up with this nonsense. They're, they're oftentimes just going to buy the console version. Mm-hmm. Well, if we look at the exact opposite spectrum of that, if we're looking at the upcoming... Uh, QuakeCon 2011, John Carmack is going to be the uh, keynote speaker and has confirmed that they will be releasing the source code to Doom 3 after the uh, after Rage has been released. And really, this is a good thing for, you know, uh, I would say 
mostly Linux gamers because now we can have a, a native uh, Linux client for some of you know a lot of the Doom Three based games, including including Doom Three and all of its blackness and uh, <laughs> all of its rubbery texturing. Texturing. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I mean, there's to be able to build, you know, to have that openness, and he's also encouraged other. Uh, development houses to release the source code for their older games because it's it's not doing any good because it's you know you're not making anything off of it but if you can give those tools to the community to make something else with it it's it just seems like a kind of a, a nice gesture that he's still one of those guys and it's nice that uh, Zenimax the company that bought out it has really been supporting that process yeah it shows that that um Carmack and crew, and you know, this goes to Valve and, and others. They remember their roots. They remember that at one point in time, you know, they weren't these big dogs. They were somebody that were, you know, they were looking for a, a accessible game engine that they didn't have to shell out thousands of dollars for, that they could tinker with and make something that, you know, a product that might get noticed out there. And it shows a respect to the homebrew and up-and-coming new development community when they say, you know, have at it, guys. Yeah, it's it's old and it's unlikely that anything's going to be produced on this. It's going to compete with Crisis, you know, anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the appreciation of the community, and that that's that gains them a lot of respect uh, in my eyes, and I know in, in a lot of people's who who are the next generation of of our uh, game makers. Well, my beloved and I intend to give a bit of a full review on a wonderful gaming experience we had recently. We got to sit down together and go through the the new release, Catherine, on the 360. And we stayed up several nights in a row and <laughs> lost a lot of sleep, made our days a little rougher than they should have been because we couldn't stop playing it. We had to get through it as, as quick as we could just to... Uh, <clears throat> Pardon me. To see the story, to be able to just keep the vibe and the mood of the game going, and we we thoroughly enjoyed it. It's gotten a lot of critical praise. It's also gotten plenty of criticism. It's a game that quickly divides people in terms of how they feel about it and how they would want to rate this game. I've heard people say that it is completely original and therefore automatically worth a playthrough. I've heard other criticisms saying that it's basically Qbert with anime cutscenes. It's an experience that is certainly not for everybody. <laughs> but uh, my beloved and I, we had an absolutely wonderful time going through this game. And uh, I wanted to give anyone who has been on the fence about it to definitely do a little research and see if it's something you you might enjoy. First and foremost, I want to say that uh, for people who looked at it and just thought it was a bunch of um, pushing blocks around with uh, watching cinema scenes, anyone who spends a decent length of time with this game uh, is going to see the actual design intentions, which is much more akin to one of the the classic Japanese uh, visual novels, uh, which almost to us is more like a choose-your-own-adventure in digital form, where you have options and choices and and it reverts to different characters, uh, outcomes, different story elements that that are provided. The 
cinema scenes are actually very similar to the Shin Megami Tensei Persona series games, uh, which the Shin Megami Tensei team is, uh, this is their first HD release, so a lot of people had hype and expectations for it just because of that. And when they found out that it was going to be this bizarre block puzzle game with sheep men, it threw a lot of people off. And I'm glad that they went a different route. I mean, we'll get our Persona HD at some point. We'll get our our new Digital Devil Saga or whatever they, which one they they get to. But this was different, and I'm really glad that they did something so original. And sales wise, it had uh, their their biggest debut for an Atlas title ever. So I'm thrilled that it's actually getting some sales response. A lot of Atlas published games get pretty decent uh, critical response and then just don't go anywhere. So. That alone I was very happy about because people were willing to take a chance on something just because they appreciated the design team and, of course, you know the cover probably helped sell it too. But, <laughs> yeah, um, they, they, but uh, back to the actual... Oh, sorry, just real quick. They did, they did have uh, 200,000 sold and they tweeted a picture of a cake that had the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the box front up. and um, the, the little message they put with it is said the Catherine cake is rated M for... Mmm... <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a nifty. Pick. I saw that online. That was that was a cute pick. Um, but getting back to the gameplay, uh, there's more complexity to it than just the the quick idea you would get of the puzzle, uh, pu- like the pushing the blocks around to climb the tower element. It, there's a lot more to that game design element than is immediately obvious. And one of the things I really appreciated about it was that they didn't set up like a handful of rules and physics and then just had you play on, you know, that same thing over and over and over. They were constantly adding new gameplay challenges to that that puzzle format. They were adding new rules, new uh new block types, new movements. Uh, they were constantly teaching you as you went, and then constantly introducing something else for you to have to fend off. All the way up to the end of the game, they were introducing new play controls and mechanics that you had to adjust to. And so it was constantly fresh. I mean, there wasn't a single time where, uh, when Amy and I were playing, we were like, oh, this is just like what we were doing before. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we would see a similar design element and we're like, oh man, these are a lot harder than, than these other things that we're looking for, but there was always something fresh with those design elements. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know where the idea of Qbert came from for anyone who's looking at the gameplay, because <laughs> there is, there are occasionally enemies on the screen that you can't, <laughs> that you can sometimes fend off with a pillow. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's a, a, a logic to how you're doing it. You have to think forward and plan several moves in advance, all well under a very strict time limit because not only is there occasionally things wandering around, but there's gigantic bosses on some stages that are chasing you, and even when that's not happening, the floor is just constantly falling out underneath. So it has that wonderful tension of a great puzzle game that it forces you to be vigilant and quick. It's got a, you know it's got action as well as puzzle solving that you're constantly trying to figure out as, as you go through. And then the other half of the game, the cinematics, but also the actual narrative gameplay where you're making choices and decisions, it has what's now become pretty common in terms of a morality or, or like an order versus chaos and the decisions you make. And yeah, it has a meter that goes back and forth and all of your decisions impact in different routes. Now, it 
it's not as clear-cut as something like, say, Mass Effect, where I can either be a paragon of virtue or I can be the guy that punches you in the face just because I came into the room. Yeah, It, it doesn't have that kind of uh, black and white. There are several questions you have to answer, and you're sitting here scratching your head going, you know, you're second-guessing the game. You're trying to think, I don't know exactly where they're going with that morality idea. And so it's pretty fascinating how the game is kind of almost judging you and you're trying to figure out how it's judging you to be able to get to what kind of ending that you're wanting. And we were completely shocked at the ending that we got on our first playthrough because we thought we had it until the like the last third of the game. And it started throwing out questions that we're, we're just sitting here trying to figure out, okay, what direction are you wanting to go with this? And something I haven't read too much about people uh, bragging on on this game was a bizarre little element where when you answer some of these questions, it posts your results up. It doesn't use names or anything, but it shows you a bar graph and says, out of everyone who's played this game online so far and answered this question, so many people said this and so many <laughs> people said that. And so this social experiment idea that it used, I found really fascinating because that it doesn't, you know, that, that little graph that it shows you what the other players answered, it's interesting it's anecdotal you know you can get a laugh out of it or just kind of shaking your head going man <laughs> don't lump me with those people <laughs> but at the same time i think that that is something you're going to see uh, that has a potential later for some game to kind of use more of that element i mean if you can imagine i, I started thinking of ideas after i saw what they were doing with a game where you were answering dynamic socialized uh, i'm sorry you were answering dynamic philosophical or social questions that had all sorts of different ranges and then it used those results back into gameplay somehow, you know, to, I just was starting to imagine a gameplay experience that could have been, uh, built off of that, but that's a different story. I was just impressed that it had this neat little system that showed you what everybody else answered as you were playing it. <laughs> I think my wife's been trying to take the microphone from me. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Do you want to say anything? There were several points I was going to try to segue into, but you just kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I feel terrible. Here, come on. I don't even know what I was going to say. One of the very neat features about the game is um, the little uh, nuances that it includes. Um, during uh, uh, the protagonist's waking hours, his name is Vincent, during Vincent's waking hours, he can actually uh, play a uh, arcade system in the bar. And that is called Rapunzel. And it is a 8-bit uh, type of version of the same thing that you've been doing. <laughs> just, which is uh, very funny, but you can actually work on strategies without the time pressure and without the other enemies. Um, and the actual um, non-playing characters in the game encourage, encourage Vincent to uh, play the Rapunzel arcade. It's kind of one of those uh, inside jokes, and it's uh, very, um, it's nice and subtle. And Actually, the, the characters are criticized for how much time they spend playing the arcade game. Oh, nice. <laughs> There's a... Like like in all of uh, the Mega Ten Teams games, there's a sense of kind of foreboding and dread and atmosphere through the whole game that was really well done. We were really into it for the, the whole experience. And it has several different endings depending on the outcomes that you that were well, depending on how you play through the game and it's not as clear-cut as as it would seem there's yeah. 
plenty of actions that you can do that will not have the results you were really expecting them to have. And it's neat when, just like a good movie that you're never quite entirely sure how it's going to end up at the end, um, so you're invested in it, that's how that's how this one was. You could start easily piecing together some of the larger plot points uh, pretty early on. In fact, some people just reading the description, I've heard, you know, started kind of trying to peg it. But yeah, by the time you get to the end, it, it can... Definitely holds some surprises there still. And it has eight different endings. Yes. And we were so fascinated when we got to the end that we immediately went on, because we knew we weren't going to spend another 12 hours <laughs> trying to get other endings. So we started researching and YouTubing the other endings to see what other outcomes were. And it was pretty slick just how many different variations that, that you could end up with by the end of the game. How many loose threads could be tied up by the uh, plot authors. One of the other very interesting little subtleties is every time Vincent orders a drink, there's a piece of trivia about the type of drink he orders, and it can get very random. (laughs) (laughs) It speaks to the bar scene. So if you were curious about it, the demo was a good taste of what you're getting into, but there's so much more to the game than that. And I think that most people who assumed that the experience was fairly limited didn't get a chance to really play very much of it because we were quite impressed with just how well realized and how much of a game it was. It, it was not uh, an anime that somebody threw a, uh, a block puzzle game that they created over the weekend into. There's a lot of care and a lot of depth. Controls can get a little slippery and a little awkward. Uh, I don't think that Atlas is going to be publishing uh, puzzle games as a, a new genre anytime soon but it's definitely tight enough to be able to to develop a skill set and to be able to conquer it has a super easy mode and if you're just interested in it for the story please 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 uh use that so that you actually get to see the ending instead of just giving up near the end because it gets even on the easiest even on the default easy mode it gets crazy frantic near the end and very very difficult and so if you want to see the ending, you can actually activate a cheat, which I think this will be the first cheat we've ever <laughs> mentioned on the podcast. On the title screen where it's talking about the Golden Playhouse and the menu selection, you can hold down the select button or the back button on the 360. And you hold it long enough and the screen will flash and it'll give you the option for very easy mode. And I recommend that for anybody who wants to play through it but is not wanting to get so frustrated on one of the end puzzles that they're just not going to bother with it because it can get pretty frustrating like any good uh any good puzzle game very challenging and limited it's not an adjective i would use for it very well flushed out even to the level of detail of even fingernail polish color for some of the uh, female uh characters um just very interesting um and very detailed yeah, all sorts of little subtle clues as to what's going on, as you'd expect before the end, uh, that you're always kind of trying to second guess. Yeah, we were, we just, we both give it uh, real high praise and and recommendation. We enjoyed going through it together because every time it asked one of those bizarre morality or dating questions, we were kind of staring at each other. Right. <laughs> figure out what we were going to say. The other thing is he and I worked very well together on the puzzle stages because it was easy. Um, He's a lot better at controls um, than I am, uh, just as far as interfacing and things of that nature. He was the one actually controlling the character, but I was the one identifying the different block types. And um, a lot of times we would each come to a decision on how to proceed with the puzzle together. However, if you want to play this with your spouse and you want to keep your own marriage intact, <laughs> you have to learn cardinal directions and colors. When you say, push the block, push the block, push the block, 
and I'm staring at a wall of about 50 of them. <laughs> I gotta have more to go on. So, <laughs> just as a as warning, but uh, it, it's easier to go through with two people because you can develop strategies in-game as it's playing instead of one guy sitting there wanting to pause it over and over so he can think through what's going on. It's, it's a lot of fun with two people to play through it. It actually has a two-player cooperative mode, but... After actually surviving to the end of the game, we weren't up to that challenge just yet. But <laughs> it's one I'm holding on to, so <laughs> maybe one day. It seemed like a very interesting game, just everything that I've seen uh, and read about it. I haven't even... I've got, I think I have the demo downloaded. I think I had one of the intro videos. I just haven't done anything with it, but I've, I've always kind of had a... An interest in uh, uh, I've really enjoyed the Atlas game, so I'm sure I'll have to pick it up at one, at some point. Yeah, it's very very well done for what it is. Highly recommended. It's got a lot of language in it, which, given the character situations it plays through, is it's one of those that you know if you see a prison movie, you kind of expect language. If if you go see a war movie, you kind of expect blood and guts. That in the same sense, this has you know it has adult content, so. You have to know what you're going into, but it's not nearly as racy or bad as what it certainly could have been in terms of anything, you know, like sexual and such. So, yeah, we were we were very very pleased with with our time with it and would give it a, a high recommendation. So I heard a dirty rumor that you got to play a video game this last week. You know, I've actually since our last podcast, I've uh, I've actually got to. Um mess with quite a few things we after the e3 episode came and went uh, i've managed to pick up a 3ds and um, so i've been toying around with that you know a little bit of pilot wings that kind of stuff um you know madden looks pretty good for a sports game that i picked up cheap enough so um but what i've been working on is Ocarina of Time, which I'm sure most people have. Um, This is actually the furthest I've ever played through Ocarina of Time. I'm in the Shadow Temple right now in my, you know, off and on that I get to play it, but um, I'm enjoying the, you know, starting to use and get used to the, uh, the time dynamic now. And it's, I I really can't, I, you know, it's it's Ocarina of Time. I mean, it's not, I, I can see where some, I can see the merit of people saying it's their favorite Zelda game. It's still not mine. Link to the Past, I think, will always be my favorite one. But Second that. This is a, it's a very solid game. And, and really, the, the 3D, which to me, it seems like, um... On the games that I've played, it hasn't, you know, it's not been like cheesy 3D movie effects. It is, um, it's the it first. Sorry, it's the first game been, I played. Oh, it's gone. It hasn't been a gimmick. It's been an immersion. Uh, just a, another way to get you kind of further immersed in the game. It truly is the first 3DS game that I saw that I said, okay, this is what they're going for with the 3D effects. 
some of the other games had some interesting uses of the 3D without it really feeling like a necessary application. And it's not necessary for Ocarina of Time, but it felt right in that game. Uh, even Nintendo's other offerings like Steel Diver, it had it to somewhat of a, an interesting overlay kind of uh, really thin 3D kind of look. And Super Street Fighter 4, which is typically lauded as the best uh, game on the system before Ocarina of Time, the 3D was interesting, but it didn't really look as 3D as what I would have expected the system to have. And Ocarina was the first game that yeah. I really did feel the depth of view that they were. I think that they were going for. And, and really, I thought I thought Pilot Wings did a pretty good job using utilizing the 3D. I thought that was a very nice intro game to 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 kind of introduce the the 3D effects. But I'm I'm not sure. How, it's it's hard. It's kind of hard to explain. I mean. It's it's not a feeling of just playing the you know the same N64 game with you know with the 3D it's it's just a different it's just a different experience as I mean that's the only way I can really explain it it's not it's not just that you're playing it on a handheld you can have you know you have the touch controls for changing your equipment around which has been very nice, um, and you know all the helpful information for the ocarina tunes and um, you know everything like that has been. You know the second screen seems like it's made a lot of difference. Not having to necessarily pause the game to go in and change your inventory every single time. Uh, oh, I I heard people say that that alone was going to make them buy it just so they could play through the water temple without constantly switching over to your boots so that you could get around. Yeah, I mean, that's um. Well, they they also updated a lot of the texture work, and yes. they inc- it's not just a port. A lot of people probably assume that it is a straight up Nintendo 64 game with the 3D effect thrown in, running on your 3DS, but. I tell you, you look at your old uh, Nintendo 64 version, and then you look at this, and there's a stark difference in most of the areas. It's, and, it's not even just textures. It's also, I mean, they've definitely increased polygon counts on all the character models and everything, too. It's a, it's side-by-side, side, it's a huge difference in the just the graphical quality, even in, you know, taking the 3D out of it, just the graphical quality of the character look, all of the, you know, like you said, the textures, it's... It's just, it's refined. It's 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 how you wanted to remember the game as opposed to yeah. what it actually looks like when you go back to it. That's what it really reminded me of. It's It was what my mind's eye pictured it as, as opposed to what it really is going back. <coughs> so, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's really been what I've been uh, working on, has been getting through that one and then waiting for my free 3ds games and <laughs> uh you know star fox i mean i mean there's just when i you know after e3 i was kind of i, I knew i was gonna want to get the 3ds and <clears throat> after th- e3 it was i gotta get a 3ds <laughs> yeah and I- i'm i'm not disappointed I've only, I think I've got five games for it now, um, but it's, I, I'm not disappointed in the purchase. I mean, even now they've got the uh, 
the Nintendo video thing, which is rotating videos through, which, you know, a couple of them are kind of neat. Um, and very soon, I think it's the next firmware update, they're supposed to add 3D video recording as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it, again, it's on the horizon, but even right now as it is, I'm, I'm really enjoying the entirety of the purchase. Yeah, we've been fairly happy with ours. Uh, there's been quite a few decent game experiences that we really enjoyed, and so I don't regret being an early adopter on it. I can see why some would be, especially now with the announced price drop, but overall, I think we're happy with our 3DS. We had a good time playing it. I really liked um, some of the very more simple games, but it's uh, it's real fun. And then um, there's always uh, Dead or Alive. <laughs> You heard her. This is this is my woman wanting to play Dead or Alive in 3D, mind you. I <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I said, no, no, Street Fighter, it's a great game. And she's like, I want to see Kasumi in 3D. No, Hitomi. <laughs> Moving right along. So yeah, what have you what have you been playing? Well, Catherine took a lot of our time and attention <laughs> lately. Uh, I wanted to give a game shout-out for something a buddy of mine came over and was playing. This is one of the reasons why I love having uh, the collection we have, is because people come over, they'll pick a random game off the shelf they were curious about, and so it's not just the ones I want to play. I get to see people play these games all the time, but this is one I did put time into back years ago. It's also one that a lot of uh, a lot of people who recognize it will probably help me champion it, and if you didn't get into it, you, you probably never will. Phantom Dust for the original Xbox. It was released in 2005. It's got a very interesting backstory because it was actually developed by Microsoft Game Studios in Japan. Microsoft published it in Asia and then abandoned it over here in North America. Majesco actually had to pick it up and release it. And they they kind of followed suit uh, later on in in 2005 with... uh, with Psychonauts, another game that originally Microsoft was going to publish and then and then just abandoned. So it was created by Microsoft specifically to try to get the Xbox to uh, more popular in Japan because it very much wears its Japanese influence on its sleeve. It, it's the game style and design is very much of a, a kind of a, a apocalyptic anime styling. Uh, there's Nothing else quite like it, though. It's It's got an excellent pedigree. It was uh, designed by... Um, I'm not going to say his name because I'm going to ruin it, but to the guy that created uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga. Um, it was only 20 bucks new over here when it was released because they didn't assume it was going to sell very well. I mean, even Microsoft didn't want to take a chance on it. Uh, but the, the, uh, the game itself is its own beast. It's often described as a cross between Magic the Gathering, as in the card game, as in the physical real-world <laughs> card game. It's it, Combine that with a third-person arena shooter. It's, it's a fascinating blend of gameplay where you actually have uh, kind of a, a third-person view of a character that you're moving, running around, and you're spawning cards well i call them everyone always uses the magic references when they discuss this game because it's so so fitting you you customize up to 30 abilities 
and kind of an equivalent of an of a deck. It calls it an arsenal. These regenerate. They spawn different abilities that you have in your arsenal that you've selected to spawn on the map, and so you're constantly swapping out these new abilities that you get. And uh, some of them are one shots. Some of them are perpetual. Uh, you've got the equivalent of like lightning bolts and fireballs and hmm. shields and all sorts of bizarre different, you know, it's, like I said, very similar to the kind of cards you see in Magic the Gathering that you, um, that that a lot of this, the mechanics are modeled after. All the while running around in these large environments, the environments are destructible. You can collapse rubble on the other guy. You can hide behind cover and have it shot out right in front of you. I mean, this was in 05, you know, long before some of these became a lot more uh, expected in your action <laughs> games. Uh, the story is a very slow burn at first, but it's fascinating. It was one of my favorite storylines in the entire Xbox library and then some. And some people say <laughs> Xbox library isn't really saying much, but I thought the storyline uh, and the way they concluded it was really interesting, very fascinating. Uh, the art design has a very Japanese anime-esque quality. Again, it, the, the game's in an apocalyptic setting. It's um, it's very slick style of graphics where the, the stylization it still looks kind of like a westernized anime in a sense with the way they did uh, the art style but the the effects the particle effects especially and the lighting uh, just even the skies and the way that there's you know this completely clouded cover uh, cloud covered sky that's scrolling by really fast um, it, it just the game has this look that just it really draws people like me into it. Um, the atmosphere is really palpable in it. It's got destructible environments, like I mentioned before. Uh, the multiplayer is what really sold it because you could get some... It, it even had a, a card that was allowing you to hear what your opponents were talking about on Xbox Live uh, as some one of the cards you can have in your deck. I mean, they, they just they really thought of some interesting ideas and mechanics for it. And the multiplayer was where, you know, even after you finish the single-player game... You could just constantly tweak your arsenal and try to find, you know, different combinations, just like people do in, in collectible card games, to try to take out the other guys. And it was up to four players. Now, obviously, they shut down the live servers, but it is a backwards compatible title with 360, and it has system land capability. So you can find this game. I mean, you know, it was 20 bucks new when it first came out, and I've every time I've seen it for sale, there's some people that are going to try to charge an arm and a leg for it because of its obscurity, but you can probably find a copy for fairly cheap. So if you have a, a 360 LAN or even an old Xbox LAN uh, with some friends, you know, it's good chance you guys could get into some fun with this one. I just, watching uh, a buddy of mine play it again reminded me of how much we got into it years ago. Well, we're going to close out our top five with uh, <laughs> Amy and I's favorite story here. Top five reasons Catherine is already Game of the Year in our hearts. Number five, no burly space marines on the cover. Number four, one of the only games that uses a pillow as a weapon that your significant other will let you play. Number three, finally, a game that will change up the Cortana cosplay standard. Number two. Despite infidelity issues, it still gives better relationship advice than Call of Duty. And the number one reason, Catherine, is already Game of the Year for Slacker and Miss Amy. The main character spends most of the gameplay in his boxers, just like most of the players. 
Well, we hope it was worth a long wait here to be able to get another podcast out. We're going to try to keep these uh, coming more regularly now. As always, you guys can get in contact with us, uh, get us in the forums. We've got our blog posts up. We'll have, uh, you can email us at podcast.rfgeneration.com. You can give us a call and leave us a message at 318-RFG-TIP-5. That's 318-734-8475. I'm usually in the IRC room. We're on QuakeNet in channel RF Generation. And, of course, we're always happy to hear any show suggestions, comments, questions for us, anything like that. So uh, feel free to drop us a line. And as always, keep it on Channel 3. bum